0: That's the great part about working with horses. There's some, you know, bit of peace for being being at the barn as well as the fact of, you know, setting those goals and really working hard and realizing that, you know, hey, this horse is great for this, but, you know, I need to let go and get a different horse if I'm going to proceed and do some other things. So
1: it's kind of, there's a lot of life lessons there. Welcome to Season 3 of Winnie Tales. In today's episode, we'll sit down for a chat with Pebbles Turbiville, Executive Director of the Horses and Humans Research Foundation. We'll hear a little bit about Pebbles' background in the equine world, as well as the mission behind the organization. Sit back and enjoy this chat, and be sure and tune in next time for the second half. Welcome to Winnie Tales. I'm your host, Julianne Neal, and we're here with Bruce Anderson and friends with all of our favorite horse stories, pony legends, and unicorn yarns. Tune in each week to hear from Bruce with a Nature's View training tip, as well as conversations with some of our favorite horse lovers. Remember, the joy's in the ride. We'd like to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Espana Silk. Formulated with a light, refreshing fragrance, this European-inspired line of grooming products has been developed to provide superior conditioning and moisturizing for people and animals. Using silk as part of your grooming routine promotes healthy hair and skin, as well as silky coats, manes, and tails. Espana Silk products are made with the finest and safest ingredients available and have been formulated to hydrate and reduce static to bring out the natural luster of your hair and your pet's coats, manes, and tails. Grooming products are all natural, water-based, pH-balanced, and biodegradable. Make every day a spa day with Espana Silk. Visit their website at espanaproducts.com. I'm so happy to introduce everybody to Pebbles Turberville, if you haven't met her yet. And um, Pebbles, we're thrilled to have you on the podcast to talk a little bit about your organization. You are the Executive Director of Horses and Humans. And I'm I'm thrilled to talk to you because I'm going to just confess right up front that we have looked into your programs and your grant funding and education and everything for the longest time. And I've been hearing the name Pebbles from several friends we'll talk about them later but anyway you have been famous to me for the longest time so it's so nice well, it's to nice meet to meet you. you
0: and um this is really funny too because this Pebbles Turbyville is my real name um and I could go into the length of how I got it but um it did come from the Flintstones my brother was a big fan um and the really <laughs> funny part is um this past December, I finished my doctorate. So I'm now Dr. Pebbles Turbyville, which is really funny because it's a cartoon made into a doctor. So um, you can't make that stuff up either. <laughs> That's a lot of hard work. So congrats. Oh, yeah. it's nice it's over with. And, um, but it's real exciting though, uh, because, because I've gone through the procedure, I know how hard it is to be in higher education and have that doctoral. Um, and about what research is all about. So I guess that's really fitting for where I am um, with the Horses and Humans Research Foundation. Uh, I had taught in higher education for almost two decades and I was training students how to teach therapeutic riding or some people will call it adaptive riding. And it's really riding for people who have disabilities. Um, So, I to come to Horses and Humans Research Foundation as the executive director was almost like my next step because I feel like I'm helping out centers around the country and the world um, with research that really backs up what we believe in and what we see and those anecdotal stories that we know are true. You know, with um, children who may speak for the first time on the back of a horse or um, veterans who find some type of sanctuary at the barn due to post-traumatic syndrome, or children who might have cerebral palsy who actually get some physical benefits from riding the horses. So there's so many different stories and so many different people that benefit, but having that research to really back it up is the important part for those who really want to have that data and those statistical pieces um, to say, yeah, this is really true. It's not really a fluke. It's not something that happens um, every now and then, or it's not stories made up. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> that's our job is to find money. Uh, to, we'll get support from the public uh, so that we can support grants.
1: Well, it's funny, as I was reading through the website a while back, it, the vision, that that whole aspect of the importance of horses, just for anybody, everybody, daily life, that so fits in line with what Bruce's model is with horse with natural humanship and, and the whole horses and humans part of it. So I felt just drawn to that side of it. And so that vision, you started back in around 2000, 2001, to, with that, that in mind, and then it almost sounded to me like it was that idea of if we build it, they will come, sort <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, that whole baseball field thing. But yeah. if the research funding is there, people will be able to do the research and the importance of all of that. So I kind of am simplifying it, I'm sure, but ha- tell me about the beginning of the organization and how you and got
0: th- started. That's, the, that's really the truth um, in the sense that Molly Sweeney is our founder. Um, she's in Houston, Texas, and had been associated and still associated with a riding program there. And she had seen the benefits, but felt like, you know, we needed to really get into research. And there's some other organizations that help those who are doing um, anything in equine-assisted services. And that, when I say equine-assisted services, I mean therapeutic riding, um, equine-facilitated learning. Uh, it could be hippotherapy, which is um, with speech language pathologist uh, or occupational f- um, therapist or physical therapist. Uh, or uh, it could be psycho um, psychology or counselors who are using. I hate to say the word using, but really a partnering uh, with horses right. to help their help their clients. So there's a big umbrella term equine assisted services that kind of covers everything that when people are really working with horses to provide some type of service to a client or a rider or uh, individual. So, yeah, Molly Sweeney. Uh, got a group together and she said you know this is this is where I'm seeing this and this is what I hope to do and are y'all on board with it and they were all like yeah this is a great idea so 2004 is when it really got together and we formed it and then 2005 is actually when we first um, gave out our first grant Um, so since then we've given out 14 grants Um, I saw my $655,000, over a half a million dollars in grant funds. And those grants have gone to anything from autism, cerebral palsy, uh, veterans. Uh, We did a study on youth, which was really about um, post-traumatic syndrome um, in youth, not just veterans. And so, and we also did an innovative uh, grant for technology. So. Our hope is <clears throat> we've been giving out one grant a year, and this year we have one for $50,000 um, for the effects of horses on humans that have experienced trauma. And that is kind of a catch all because it could be anything with trauma. Um, and you know, really, this whole COVID situation has been pretty traumatic for all of us. Um, and so it's amazing what people have been doing with programs have been reaching out to first responders emts doctors emergency room who've had to go through all this you know how horrific it's been for them um who've brought them to the barn and said y'all y'all need to take a take a break from the hospital yeah. and come and take a breath at the barn and just relax and chill and so it could be anybody from. That aspect. Um, It could be veterans, it could be um, children at risk who have gone through some type of trauma. Um, I've also heard of programs who have reached out to uh, people who've been unfortunately in the human trafficking situation Mm -hmm. and been rescued. And so um, that in itself has got to be horrific, but you know, any types of trauma. um, And so we're hoping that we can also kind of reach out to some minority groups mm-hmm. um, in the sense that maybe it's it's women veterans rather than just... Um, that umbrella. Catching all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Or it's kids at risk or some other smaller groups that maybe have not been reached or studied as well. So that's our hope. Um, but, you know, really it comes down to who has the best best uh, methodology and research description or setup? Um, and so that's why we have on our board. We're not on our board, but we have a group called the Scientific Advisory Council. So these individuals are people who have done research and um, have reviewed research. And so our grants come in and um, they go through first first phase is make sure that they've completed the whole grant application and that in itself is That's important <laughs> it is a lot yeah. and I think some people might scramble at the end and try to put it together and that just doesn't does You're not kidding. work no. No, no, no. Um, but then it is sent out to our scientific advisors and they actually evaluate it and if the one who gets the highest points moves up the tier so it's a tier process. So the last couple, or might be one, or it could be two or three, who've really made the mark, um, then go to the board for HHRF, and the board votes on which they, which one they want to fund.
1: That's fantastic. Well, mm-hmm. and it's funny because you say all that scrambling at the end. I'm a grant writer for our school district and <laughs> the arts programs and everything else. And there's sometimes that, you know, you can squeak through with a little something. But your your application process is is the best. I mean, it's fantastic because there you know that somebody's really thought it through if they made mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah, and that's why I really um, want to congratulate really Molly Sweeney and um, the, her group that she reached out to and they, I mean, this was well thought out. It wasn't just a foundation that was thrown together. Um, they really looked at other foundations. Um, for example, I know with the grant um, process, um, they looked at Michael J. Fox's um, foundation and how they do the grant reviews as well as like Christopher Reeves. So it was well-researched itself. So it was a solid, um,
1: solid foundation or it was set up great because they did
0: the research yeah yeah
1: yeah. well and so like if if somebody did want to find out more they could go to the website and and get the application and all that I'm sure we'll um we'll come back to that in a minute but I did want to say, you know, you've got the side of giving out the grant money, and that's a huge part of what you do. You also have to somehow get the grant money in, and (laughs) so you're sort of that middle the catalyst for all these things to happen. How much of that search for funding do you have to do? Uh,
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough call, too, because, I mean, really, um, you're looking at, one, we have to raise funds just to... Uh, keep up the administrative cost. Um, and we had a virtual office office before virtual was really cool um, yeah. in the sense that uh, operations manager is in Ohio and that's the actual physical address. Um, but I'm working in South Carolina, um, but our uh, board is, you know, all over the country. Um, and we're also looking right now for some international because we are an international foundation. Um, we've actually funded three grants in Canada and one in Germany. Um, so I know that's getting sidetracked from what the question was, but it really, yeah. yeah. But um, really, I mean, it is about looking at other foundations that perhaps have the same philosophy and goal or mission that we do. Um, and so they will support us not only in um, uh, in our unrestrictive funds, being administration, but also giving things to support restrictive funds. So um, I'm hoping to do a fundraiser, too, because I really would like to see, for example, um, if we had little silos of grants, you know, who would want what? Uh, funded in the sense would they want to study on therapeutic riding or perhaps counseling um, with horses or would they want to see us actually do um, physical therapy or occupational therapy with horses do another study in that area Uh, so I thought it would be kind of fun to do a a little bit of a a fundraiser where people could donate and um, hopefully the board would take that into effect as far as where, where we would go with those funds yeah
1: that's a great idea let's take a quick break from the podcast and talk a little bit about one of our sponsors Fenwick Equestrian I'm here with Bruce Anderson of Nature's View and we're going to talk about Fenwick's calming mask Bruce can you tell us a little bit about why you enjoy using that with your horses
0: well to me the first thing is what it does for me When I put the mask on the horse, I feel that I have done everything I can do at that particular point to help the horse. I believe in the work that I do, it's all about getting the head. For everything that's sort of important to the horse is around the head. So by wrapping this around his face like it wraps, it almost creates this pressure and in so doing, to me, letting the horse know that, look, see, you're okay.
1: It's kind of like when you have a dog that gets a little nervous during a storm and you put a thundercoat on or something like that. It's just, it's that added support. Oh, Yeah. So if you'd like to know more about all of the technology behind liquid titanium and the Fenwick liquid titanium mask, which is the original therapeutic calming mask available from the company, you can check out their website at FenwickEquestrian.com where they have all sorts of other exciting apparel. Find out more at FenwickEquestrian.com. Thank you, Bruce.
0: Thank you, Julian.
1: Well, what I love too is that you branched out into education. So, mm-hmm. or you might have already been into it, but just having setting up the conference in October of last year, I think it was to Alpha yeah. Tryon. You know, you it, that's a great way of bringing in the educational side of the research and and everything else too. How did how did you decide to do that, and how did it go?
0: <laughs> that's a great question. Well, we have an education committee, Um, and so. We have started doing webinars, uh, which basically is a Zoom meeting that we invite a guest to. And then we reached out to those who have actually been funded um, by HHRF to present some of their work. But And then we'll record it and actually put it on our YouTube channel. So uh, the conference was basically at the last year in the spring when the numbers were dropping and we were getting vaccinated we were like, ah, everybody's just so tired of being isolated. Let's do something fun and bring everybody together. And so um, I was teaching as an adjunct and as an advisor to uh, Isothermal Community College near Tryon, and they have a great facility. And so I reached out to them and then uh, Tryon they were having a bunch of events going on that was very similar. They had the Paralympians there. So we were like, well, that would be a great evening aspect. And so I just, uh, within like three or four months, pulled everybody together and said, yeah. hey, let's have a conference. And so, you know, we had people all over the country who came to present um, some of our our grantees um, mm-hmm. presented about their projects. Uh, we even had uh, Racing to Relate, which is a uh, English uh, group, but was presented by a friend who is actually from France, but she was in Kentucky. So she came over from Kentucky and presented on that. So it was really great and everybody just loved it. And I began to panic, though, because in the summer, that's when numbers started going back up. Wow. Um, but um, we took precautions. It was a big enough facility set. 1200 people mm-hmm. and i just was looking at having 100 so that gave us plenty of space, plenty to be safe. space. Yeah. yeah so and it all worked out great we're actually um i'm about to announce in the next week or two about having one um at the end of this summer so mm-hmm. that we're going to have another conference and then get this in 2023 in june we're going to have one in france um and,
1: yeah yeah international oh. conference um sign and, me up I'll be there for that one yeah <laughs> for both of them coming up actually but specifically
0: for that one oh well the problem was um after I did my first the first conference the board was like well it's not a matter of if we're having a conference it's where we're having it and when we're having it and oh. then they were like and um the lady from France said, yeah, you you should come to France in two years. And we were like, okay. So I started talking to him and I'm like, what if we did something around Normandy D-Day? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a friend of mine, Megan uh, McQueenie, who's at Bravehearts, she actually does a Trail to Zero program where they take veterans and ride in major cities like New York, Washington, Chicago and trying to bring awareness to veteran suicide and how we can bring that to zero. Yeah. And so I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if we did a Trail to Zero internationally in France on yeah. D-Day or around D-Day. Um so yeah, that's it's going to be like two events under one big
1: umbrella. But, that is um, fantastic. There's actually a place in um, Deauville has a a film festival that Bruce and I had a film in a couple of years ago. And just touring around that part of the country, it is just so beautiful. Um, And I think actually speaking of films, I think David Glossberg did a film about Megan's um, programs and had footage of them riding through New York Mm -hmm. with... I mean, gorgeous backdrops and everything and had the veterans riding through. And I I don't know if it was Mustangs or not, but I mean, it was it was fantastic. It was a beautiful film.
0: Yeah, she does have a couple of Mustangs that some of her veterans have um, trained. And so, yeah, (laughs) that's like bringing it full circle when you bring them out of out of the wild and then you're riding them down the wild street of new york or right. <laughs> to dc but yeah
1: well and that's so. part that's one of the things bruce and i've talked about one of our focuses so someday when i really do get my grants grant proposal together maybe that'll be part of it but um I, I think we will we'll be there i'll come to the one next year too i hope you have it in tryon again because that's near me <laughs> but um, the one for, for France, we're in. we're in. Yeah,
0: yeah, June 2023. We haven't decided on a date, and actually D-Day is a day of reverence in France, so they don't have anything going on on that specific day, but they wow. do have um, celebrations before and after or yeah. bringing attention to the fact of what how important D-Day was. Or um, So... <clears throat> um, yeah, so I'm not sure exactly on the week, but it's June 2023.
1: Mark your calendar. fantastic. Oh. You're listening to Winnie Tales, the official podcast of Nature's View and the Marley Project, brought to you by JA Media Productions.